You're listening to Mysteries Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the Pennhurst State Hospital. Welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. Welcome to our third episode of the 2022 Spooky Halloween series. Uh, first off, right off the bat, I just want to apologize for leaving you guys hanging last week. Uh, we had fall break over here in Utah, and my intention was to release an episode like last Saturday. However, my kids were sick over fall break, and then... They had the audacity to get me sick. Um, And you might be able to hear a slight stuffiness in my voice. Okay, maybe not so slight. Maybe an overt stuffiness over the microphone. But regardless, I'm back. I'm alive. Um, I'm back from the dead. And I'm here ready to make it up to you because I will be releasing an episode today. And then another one on Halloween night. Um, I just figured I had four episodes planned for the Halloween series, and there's no reason other than my stuffy nose not to do all four. The last episode of the series is all typed up and ready to go, but I'm going to just like give it a day or two before I record, so hopefully you only have to suffer through one episode of my stuffy clogged nose, and not two. So, happy Halloween, okay? Speaking of Halloween, I wanted to know what are you guys planning on doing or being for Halloween? Do you dress up and go to a party? Are you planning on taking your kiddos trick-or-treating? Are you planning on passing out candy? Do you go to like a haunted attraction to celebrate? Like what is your Halloween looking like? Uh, For Halloween this year, I am dressing up as Marie Antoinette and my husband will be the executioner. We are going to a few parties this week, and I'm planning on either bringing a cake or mini cupcakes to all of the events that I attend because let them eat cake, duh. Uh, My kids, I was hoping with my youngest, um, I was hoping that he was young enough that I could still have a part and like controlling what he was going to (laughs) be. But the kid is independent and he has his heart set on being a pumpkin. Uh, We went to this harvest festival type thing. If you're native to Utah, then you know corn bellies. Everybody knows what corn bellies is here. Um, And there's a mascot that walks around the park and he is dressed up like a pumpkin. And my son saw the mascot and just like totally fell in love with the idea. So he is going to be a pumpkin and he's going to go to his first Halloween party at preschool tomorrow. So he is super excited. Um, Riley, literally, I do not know what I'm going to do about that kid. (laughs) I was like, do you want to be a cute leopard? No. What about this cute alien girl costume? Nope. The girl would have none of that. She wants to be a ghost bride. So here I am scouring Pinterest, uh, trying to find some way that we can compromise and like I can let her be a ghost bride that's not like too gross with like oozing and like (laughs) rotted flesh, but is like a teeny bit macabre so that she'll be satisfied at least. (laughs) 
but yeah, it's a, it's a struggle. I have two very independent kids. I, I wonder where they get it from. (laughs) I read this like quote once and I think I've even like talked about this before, but, um, having kids is like having miniature versions of yourself that you get to, to argue with every day. (laughs) Um, okay. So before we get started, uh, of course we need to do a little bit of housekeeping and try to keep it as brief as possible. So last time that we were all together, I announced a giveaway and it was a giveaway where the entry was to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, then you were going to screenshot it and then you were going to send it to me via my Instagram page at mystery still unsolved. So far from what I am seeing or not seeing, uh, no one has entered the giveaway. <laughs> But that being said, if you entered, like if you went over to Apple Podcasts and you wrote a review and you screenshotted it and you sent it to me and I'm just not seeing it, like please let me know because as much as I would love to keep this Halloween package full of tasty treats and goodies to myself, I do actually want to share it with one of you as a thank you for supporting. So, and this has like never happened to me before that I've like hosted a giveaway and like nobody's entered. So that's why I'm thinking like maybe it's something on my end. Like maybe people people are sending things to me and I'm just not seeing it. So um, please hit me up if you think that I just didn't see your entry and that was an error and let's like get this sorted out because I want to get this out to somebody. Um, If you're wondering what the heck I'm talking about and you're like, well, if I would have known that there was a giveaway, I would have entered. You, my friend, need to go over and follow me on Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, There, you're going to hear the latest of what we're doing over here at Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, I do also have a website. It's www.mysterystillunsolved.com. Honestly, if you go over there right now, it's pretty blah. Um, I'm not really doing much with it. Um, But I do like to mention it on the podcast episodes every single time because I know that one day I'm going to do something with my website and I'm going to want people that like to listen to podcasts from like the first one and then like go in chronological order. I want them to know about the website. So that's why I always bring it up because I'm hoping that one day I will actually do something with the website and like be able to sell merch and stuff. And I want people that are listening like from a long time ago to know about it. Um, all right. So I think that that's it for housekeeping. I think that's all I have for today, which is nice because I'm seriously feeling like, like I am definitely on the mend, um, but I'm still a little bit drained. I don't really want to do any more housekeeping. (laughs) Trying to like say, like, uh, savor my energy. I don't think that's the right terminology. Trying to like reserve it. You know what I mean? Um, and this sickness that I got that my kids gave me, those evil little kids, just kidding. <laughs> uh, it really put me through the ringer and I am just like slowly starting to build up, build up my endurance. Um, like I don't completely have my stamina back. Um, and I've got to get that back and then I'll be up to conquering the world again. So, um, yeah, before I begin though, I know that I said that I was done with housekeeping and this is this is less of housekeeping and more so like just addressing today's episode like entirely. Um, today we will be discussing violence against people in marginalized groups, particularly the intellectually 
disabled. Um, so I didn't want to begin without like having some sort of a trigger warning. If that's something that really bothers you and you don't want to listen to this episode, I completely understand. I won't be offended. There are episodes that are just not like my episodes are not for everybody. And like maybe one thing it's not hard for you to listen to, but another thing it is. And I completely understand that. And I just want everybody to be as comfortable and as happy as possible. So if you need to sit this one out, um, totally get it. Just come back on Halloween and I'll have a different, uh, episode for you, or you can listen to past episodes if you need to catch up. Um, but I never want anybody to feel like they have to like force yourself, force themselves through an episode. Um, also, I wanted to just give like a little disclaimer that in order to be respectful to these marginalized groups, I did like a bunch of research online about like what the politically correct way to refer to the variety of groups that we're going to be talking about today. Um, I know that like terminology is constantly changing. Like my mom, uh, she's been teaching for 25 years and she worked with... Um, children with special needs. And that used to be the okay way to say it is children with special needs. And then for like a while in her 25 year career, um, they got away from saying people with special needs and they started saying like special ed. And then they started saying like mentally retarded, which doesn't seem right, but like like, that seems, like, so bad to say, but for a little while, like, that is the politically correct way that they wanted to be referred to, or I don't know if they wanted to be referred to as that, but just that was, like, the politically correct term. So, yeah, terminology is constantly changing, and I wanted to at least do my best to refer to the people that we're going to be discussing today in the most respectful and the most, like, current way possible. However, with that being said, I do apologize if the resources that I used for whatever reason, like, didn't provide me with the most up-to-date, accurate information. Um, the phrase that I found, um, that was appropriate to use. It was used across multiple websites, so I'm assuming that it's the right term. Um, but please forgive me in advance if it's not. Also, like this episode's going to be on the internet forever, <laughs> and in the podcast universe forever, and so like it might not age well. Um, and I just want to let you know that like when I made this episode, like this is the term that people were saying to use. Um, and please believe me that I would never ever purposefully refer to anyone in a way that they found offensive or degrading or insulting. So I'm just trying to do my best. Um, okay. So without further ado, and before I run out of energy, because it is dwindling fast, um, let's get into today's episode. In 1908, originally named the Eastern State Institution for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic, but later renamed to the name we know it by today, the Pennhurst State School and Hospital, um, in 1908, it was founded to help care for individuals with mental and physical disabilities and support their families. In 1908, not much was known about people who were intellectually disabled, um, autism, epilepsy, ADHD, behavioral disorders, mental disorders, and people, you know, who had a variety of other needs. Um, many people who had a child with an intellectual or a mental or a physical illness, um, they felt a lot of shame as many people of that era 
thought that if you gave birth to a child that had like some sort of deformity, some sort of disadvantage, that like it was a punishment from God, that you had done something wrong and like this was your punishment or that you had like um, inferior DNA. Like remember during World War One, World War Two, there was like this huge thing about eugenics. Um, so just like really outdated and ignorant ideas going around in 1908. So because of the shame and what I'm guessing, um, was just complete confusion as to like how to properly care for a family member that had been afflicted in this way, um, families would send their family member to a place like Penhurst State Hospital to live. While the original intentions of Penhurst Hospital may have been sincere, the hospital soon learned that they did not have enough money, they did not have the resources or the workforce necessary to care for the thousands of patients that would soon crowd the institution. Not only were these people living there for what was supposed to be the intended purpose of the hospital, but the state would also send like a variety of like miscellaneous, that's the word I'll use, marginalized people that they just like didn't know what to do with. So like if somebody came into their town and was like an immigrant and they didn't speak English and they were like considered problematic, they were sent there and orphans were sent there and children of homeless people and children of parents who had committed crimes and were incarcerated or just any child who wasn't cared for was sent here. So a lot of people who were at the hospital in the end, they actually didn't have any form of like mental or intellectual or physical ailments, but they were basically trapped in this institution for the remainder of their lives unless they like aged out and the place kicked them out. In 1946, there were only seven doctors serving more than 2,300 patients even and this is even though the building itself was only built to withstand like 1900 people by 1955 the institution homed 3500 patients so almost like double its original capacity when a family or the state would send someone to Penhurst Hospital, the patients were sorted into categories based on certain characteristics so they would have a patient come in and they would determine, were they, quote, imbecile, imbecile, end quote, or imbecile, or insane? So they were split up that way. Um, was the patient epileptic or healthy? And was their dental health good, poor, or well-treated? These characteristics and these alone would dictate the patient's lodging and care for the remainder of their stay. So, like I said, the hospital was overcrowded and understaffed, and this made it incredibly commonplace to routinely see patients walking around naked because staff were, like, just too busy to clothe them. Um, patients would sit in their own waste and filth for days because there was just no one available to deal with changing or bathing them on a regular basis. Um, many patients went hungry because no one was really paying attention to their food intake. Um, and one of the more disturbing things I learned in my research is that staff would like 
they were just so overwhelmed. And I, I have to believe that they wouldn't do this normally, but they would lock patients into what can best be described as metal adult cribs. Um, and many of these patients would be confined to these all day and all night in order to just like keep them from wandering around or causing trouble. So basically like human beings, particularly children between the ages of like five and 25, were in cages just to keep them out of the way. Um, These patients were rarely tended to and would often suffer from starvation, dehydration, and bed sores. Um, As you may have guessed, the treatment of these patients caused a lot of tension between the staff and the patients. So whenever one of those patients that was confined to a metal crib was freed, they would obviously be incredibly angry. Can you like imagine if you had, if that was happening to you, like when you were released, you'd be so angry. Um, But many of these patients did not possess the ability to express this frustration orally. So they would lash out and they would become more physical, which would only make things more difficult for them because the staff would be incredibly rough with them And more often than not, the staff would go completely, they would just cross lines with their attempts at discipline. And it honestly just like makes me really sick to think about because here they are, they're these human beings and they aren't able to communicate their needs. They're not able to communicate their stress that they're going through to their family if their family even like bothers to visit them. Like a lot of family did drop their kids off here because they thought that like this is going to be the best place for them. They're going to have people that understand them better. Um, But a lot of people just used it as a dumping ground. Like, yeah, we we had a kid, but we don't talk about them anymore because we took them to this place and we just like we don't want anything to do with them anymore. Um, And it's just so disappointing that the very people that were supposed to be helping were doing a lot of harm. Um, And until the mid-80s, the hospital did their best trying to convince the public that, you know, it's just overcrowding and underfunding, which is entirely to blame. And while sure, I'll give them that it certainly probably didn't help matters, um, it doesn't take into account just like the systematic abuse and mistreatment of the most vulnerable. Um, This is not something that could be swept under the rug, although there are certainly people who probably wanted that. In the mid-80s, an expose done by a news station revealed the deep and dark secrets of the Pennhurst State Hospital. Um, This was a compilation of segments called Suffer the Little Children. The reporter was able to film the hospital. I have no idea how he did this because I feel like this wouldn't happen today because I feel like there would just be so many hoops to jump through, but I don't know what this reporter did, but he was somehow able to like film patients in the hospital, of course, keeping their privacy. Um, and there were clips of people being like tied down to their beds, people who were like naked and sitting in human excrement. Uh, the reporter interviewed doctors who worked at the facility who were like 
all too eager to share their methods of discipline, which would be better described as methods of torture. So one doctor, very candidly, he didn't seem like he was ashamed of it or anything. Um, he shared that when a patient of theirs who was sent there because both of his parents were incarcerated. So like, this is one of those those kids that the state deem like miscellaneous. We don't know what to do with them. So let's just send them to the hospital. Um, so like this kid didn't even have like mental, intellectual, or physical disabilities. Um, whenever he would misbehave, they would take him out of like the general population and put him with kids who had very low functioning conditions and like very low IQs in an attempt to strip this individual of his dignity, humiliate him, and essentially get him to be good or else they were going to send him there again. Um, so the doctor spoke so openly about this. And even when the reporter like addressed him head on and said, quote, so essentially you are stripping him of his dignity. The doctor said, yeah, exactly. Like it, like there's just like no awareness. Um, he was like, exactly. Uh, we need to humiliate him a little bit in order to get him to comply. Uh, sir, <laughs> excuse me. The person that you're talking about is nine years old. <laughs> Why do we need to strip him of his dignity and humiliate him? That, and just like the fact that he wasn't even like embarrassed to say that, like just goes to show like how deeply embedded this systematic abuse was. Like he's not even embarrassed. He's not even trying to hide it. He's not even trying to make it look better than it actually is. Like, he's just like, yeah, so we're just going to strip him of his dignity and humiliate this nine-year-old child. Okay, so when this expose went public, the nation was, like, up in arms. They were repulsed. They were appalled. They were sickened. They were disturbed. They wanted something to be done about these horrible atrocities that had been happening in their backyard, essentially, for decades. Um, this is when the Halderman versus Penhurst State Hospital case was built. Um, and it was the first of its kind in the nation because no one had ever been bold, brazen, crazy enough to take on an entire hospital. But with the momentum of several families who were willing to complain, patients willing to talk, and staff members who were willing to testify this case really took off. So during this class action lawsuit, um, many terrible atrocities were uncovered. For instance, the Pennsylvania Zoo at the time was getting $7.15 for every animal housed at the zoo per day. And if you take that knowledge and those facts and you contrast them with the state hospital where each patient was only getting like a little under four five dollars a day um I mean that's shocking the lawyer really got to the jury um when he just when he showed them those stats that even though the state secretary of health had been to Penhurst hospital on multiple occasions and he had seen all of the things that had been depicted in the expose with his own eyes the state was still okay with the fact that they were caring more and providing more monetary funding to zoo animals than actual human beings and actual like human being children um, then there was the Halderman girl. 
as to who the case is named after. Um, her name was Terry Lee. And Terry Lee had been admitted to the hospital when she was about 12 years old by her family, who were, like, just really at their wit's end and just, like, desperate for help in how to handle her. And when they met with the hospital several times, the hospital assured the family that they knew what to do and that they were going to do the, their very best to care for her. However, after several instances of the family coming to visit, because like I said, this family was very involved, um, they started to notice bruises. Um, and they went to the staff and approached them with their concerns and either the staff couldn't or would not explain how those bruises got onto their child's body, they became very suspicious of her care and treatment there. Um, then, after seeing the expose in the mid-80s, they finally, finally learned the truth about what was really going on at the hospital that they had sent their daughter to. During the trial, it was learned that during Terry Lee's 11-year stay, her medical records indicated that she had endured at least 40 injuries, ranging between like minor scratches and bites to broken fingers and toes. And there were even instances that the staff was like so rough in their efforts to subdue Terry Lee that she lost like several of her teeth. In other patients, they learned about severe physical, mental um, sexual abuse. Um, there were deprivation and isolation techniques being used. Um, there were medical experience, uh, medical experiments being conducted that were like not sanctioned by anyone in authority. It was basically just like these unethical experiments being done in secret. So think like lobotomies, um, what is it? What is it that like thing where they zap you? I cannot think of it. Ah, I cannot think of it, but when they like they did it with, um, I don't know. I can't, don't know what it's called. Like it's when they like electrocute you to try and get you to stop doing something, but I cannot think of the name, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, they were doing like sterilization and eugenics when it came to the intellectually disabled because they were trying to, um, stop that from occurring in future generations. Um, and most of the staff, believe it or not, even though these people were in I mean, I'm assuming that these people went to school and did the schooling because they cared about people and they wanted to help people. A lot of the staff would turn a blind eye to all of this. And I'm assuming that they would just justify to themselves that they were just far too busy doing their jobs to really change anything. Um, but there were some nurses who just never felt right about it and they wouldn't stand for it. And they actually did speak out at the trial. And that was the final nail in the hospital's coffin um, because the hospital was officially closed in 1987. Hospitals in general have a naturally huge propensity for hauntings and ghost sightings simply due to the nature of what these buildings are created for. Hospitals in essence, our buildings where the veil between life and death is incredibly thin. Um, in one ward, in one section of the hospital, you are bringing in life multiple times a day. Um, and in contrast, in other parts of the hospital, like the emergency room and the operating room, like death is occurring multiple times a day. So, I mean, seriously, if you take that into consideration, there's honestly no wonder many people report seeing like 
paranormal instances and experiences that defy explanation within the confines of hospital walls. And like this is at any hospital, like this could be your local hospital down the street. It doesn't necessarily have to be like a creepy hospital that has a bad origin story. But now add on top of that, an abandoned hospital with a long, dark, and seedy past, such as what we've been learning about, the Penhurst Hospital, it does not surprise me one bit that a handful of ghost patients would still haunt this hospital of horrors that was once their home. And for many of these patients at Penhurst, they were dropped off there when they were like three, four, and five. Like this is the only home they remember. This is the only home that they ever knew. Um, people who have been brave enough to risk not only like tetanus, um, but other types of bodily harm that consist of going into like an abandoned building. Um, but also they're doing this because they want the opportunity to commune with the other side. Um, people that have gone into that hospital that's been abandoned report that they have heard voices and like guttural moanings in the dark and narrow tunnels that connect the buildings to one another. Um, Others have heard screams and have seen or heard doors slamming in darkened corridors. And even those ghost hunters or just curious teenagers who didn't necessarily hear or see anything cannot deny the dark, dreadful feeling that overcomes them when they are at the hospital, and many cannot shake the feeling that they are being watched by some sort of unknown entity that resides there. It wouldn't surprise me for a second if there were not only souls of those who had died there still lingering, but also demonic spirits and energies that are like attracted to just like the straight up evil that has to be, like, oozing out of this place. Like, evil surely has made a comfortable home within the walls of Penhurst. Okay, so, like I was saying earlier, in 1987, the hospital was officially closed. And okay, I'm going to get to what I was about to say in a second, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about how recently 1987 was. I mean, come on! That honestly wasn't too long ago that all of these terrible things were happening. 1987? My husband was born in 1988. So seriously, like, I cannot believe. Like, this is two, no, three years before I was born. I just, like, cannot believe that all of those sorts of things were happening, like, a mere 30-ish years ago. Honestly, it's disgusting. It makes my stomach turn and my skin crawl. Um, but also, I know I mentioned that the hospital was closed and abandoned, but not in recent years. And no, it didn't open up as a hospital again. If it did, I bet that you'd have a real hard time convincing anyone to get themselves admitted there. Um, but now, for the last couple of years, um, every Halloween, a company that does, like, temporary haunted attractions has acquired, like, some sort of, like, a short-term rental agreement to put one of their haunted attractions in one of the newer places in the facility. So, a lot of the, um, a lot of Penhurst Hospital is, like, super derelict, super decrepit, like, dangerous, like, you cannot be in there, um, 
But there is like one area, I'm guessing it's probably the area that they showed to families that was like, oh my gosh, look, look how nice our hospital is. But it actually was just like a front for like how disgusting the rest of it was. Um, so that's where the newer attraction is being housed. Um, and this group hires people who are either um, intellectually disabled themselves or people who agree to pretend to be intellectually disabled to run through the hospital and scare people. So it's basically like actors or legit people who are intellectually disabled, um, just running around and terrifying people. And the company says that, you know, we're creating equal job opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. Um, but organizations like PMPA argue that the company is not helping people with intellectual disabilities, but exploiting these people. And PMPA is certainly not alone in this belief. A lot of people are upset that this business is encouraging and even profiting from the further demeaning and degradation of these marginalized groups and basically like making a mockery of all of the people that legitimately suffered there for decades. Um, but the company argues that they have the legal right to host a haunted attraction there. Um, I have a feeling that this is not the last that we will hear about this um, debate, this lawsuit um, that's going on. Um, I'm sure that we're going to get updates about this soon. Um, and I, all I can do is just like cross my fingers and hope that the court like leans the right way on this one. <laughs> Like, for real. Okay, so I'm dying to know, what are your thoughts on today's episode? Um, Like, do you think the Penhurst State Hospital is haunted? Um, Do you think that the spirits of those trapped there in life are now imprisoned there, even in their deaths? Do you believe places can be evil? Do you think that they are evil because evil things happen there? Or do you think that evil things happen there because, like, the land was always evil? What are your thoughts on the hospital being used as a Halloween attraction? Would you ever go? Or are you too afraid to be within the Penhurst Hospital walls? Let me know your thoughts, your theories, your comments, and opinions on my post at Instagram at Mystery Still Unsolved. I always look forward to hearing what y'all have to say. Okay, again, if you entered to win my giveaway, uh, could you please reach out? Um, I'm not seeing anything on my end, but maybe something weird happened and I just wasn't able to see your entry. So if you followed all the rules and you feel like you should be having a chance to win, like hit me up because I want to give you this prize. Um, thank you again for being here today. I very much appreciate you taking the time to sit in this little corner of the podcast universe with me for a bit. Um, don't forget that the final episode of the spooky Halloween series will be released on Halloween. How fun. And then we're going to have an, uh, another regular episode released on Thursday. So yes, you heard that right. Next week, you're going to get two brand new Mystery Still Unsolved episodes, essentially three new episodes in a seven-day period. What the heck? Am I cuckoo for candy corn? No, I'm just feeling very generous and festive because it is my favorite time of the year after all. Uh, do you want to know how to best support this podcast? Of 
course you do. Um, tell a true crime loving friend or family member about me. Tell all the little ghosties and pumpkins and devils and vampires and witches and anybody else that like comes to your door trick-or-treating. Um, and don't forget, the best way to support this podcast will always be to join me next week when together we'll discover, did anyone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?